Father, we are so grateful to be here together, to experience your blessings, to know that you are uh, taking care of all the parts of our lives. And you care about our emotions. In fact, you gave those emotions to us. So give us guidance and understanding how to best deal with them and to give you the glory. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I was a young theology student, and I was sitting in a worship in the ladies' residence. We, we would switch out one, one uh, evening, it would be in the boys' residence, one evening in the ladies' residence. And I'm sitting there and I'm fuming because a week before I had given a worship, I had poured my heart, soul, and mind into it, and now there was a local pastor standing up there giving a worship and dismantling everything that I'd said. He had obviously heard about my worship, and now he was going through it and publicly embarrassing me as he dismantled my previous worship talk. And so I sat there fuming. After a while, I, I began, my heart rate went up. My face began to get flushed. My, my fists began to clench and unclench. In fact, I wasn't even listening to him anymore. I was just thinking about how I was going to speak to him afterwards. And so finally, it was done. And I, and I, I marched up trying to get to him at the front, but no, I couldn't speak to him because there were all these other students kind of fawning around him, asking him questions about his talk. So instead, I walked out the back, and I found a, a friend of mine, a girl called Jane, and I kind of angrily whispered to her, we need to talk, which is probably not what you should be saying to girls of your age, but she was really confused, and uh, she followed me out, and like, what, what's wrong? And I said, look, I've got to just talk to you about something. And then I started venting. And we went on a walk, about a 20-minute walk outside, uh, side by side. And I'm just telling her all of the problems with this guy and why I didn't appreciate what he did. And, and then we walked. We came back about 20 minutes later, uh, back to the girl's residence. And this guy, there was my nemesis, my adversary, was just leaving and, and although I'd calmed down by this point, you know, having her listening to me really helped. I'd kind of gotten it out of my system, but I saw him again, and I was still angry inside. And then he, he, he was kind of exiting, talking to a last student, and walking towards his car. And I had to figure out how was I going to handle my anger in that moment. And uh, just like Pastor Chris would do, I'm going to let you wait until the end of the message to find out what I did. <laughs> but today we want to talk about anger. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26. Ephesians 4 and verse 26. And you'll find this really strange statement of Scripture. Ephesians 4 and verse 26. And in that strange statement of Scripture, it, Paul gives some advice. And notice what his advice is. What is it? Be angry. Now, this is not in the permissive sense in the Greek. This is, this is an imperative. It's a command. Be angry. Now, when I was doing pathfinders, I didn't find that in part of their pledge and their law, you know, be true, be kind, be courteous, but I didn't find be angry. You know, I looked back just to make sure it wasn't there and it's not there. You know, how could Paul be saying to us, be angry? There must be a good side to anger or that imperative would never exist. But it goes on to say not only be angry, but sin not. In other words, there is anger, which can be good, 
And then there is a sinful response to anger, which can be bad. And so today we want to talk a little bit about the difference between good and bad anger. We're going to call the sinful anger, we're going to call that the no anger and the blow anger. And we just want to deal with a little bit these two different responses to anger that can really be quite sinful. So first, when, when I think of blow anger, how many of you have ever cooked with a pressure cooker? Anybody here? So for those who don't know, with a pressure cooker, you can put things inside of it, put the lid on tightly so it can't come off, and then as the heat goes up, it cooks inside much faster than if it were just sitting on a stove boiling. So a pressure cooker always has a safety valve, right? When I was a kid, we used to cook things with a pressure cooker, the safety valve would start going and letting out the steam when it was getting really hot inside. And my mom taught me, don't ever let anything, if, if the steam stops coming out there, then there's something wrong and it could be really bad because the pressure cooker could blow up. So when you think of the blow anger, think of how people blow up in anger, like a pressure cooker that has the steam kept inside until it blows up and causes a disaster all over the kitchen. Well, when my kids, I've always tried to teach them not to blow up because this blow anger can be really damaging. It was damaging in my childhood. So when, I, when Anaya was probably about three or four years old, I remember she got pretty good at this. She would, you know, when she started going into meltdown mode, I'd say, stop. If you need something, you need to ask for it calmly. And she'd go, <gasps> please, may I have the cookie? And then she could get it. But if she blew up, she got nothing that she asked for. So she'd gotten pretty good at this. And I remember showing a friend of mine, you know, they were there with me one day when she was starting to get all upset. And I said, no, calm yourself. And so she did. She, okay, mommy, may I please? And I was like, you know, three years old, and she can do this better than a lot of adults. And my friend was like, that's dangerous. My friend had some training in psychology. I said, she shouldn't do that. That's damaging. She needs to let it out. Let out her anger. Now, this is a, a common philosophy in a lot of counseling circles mm -hmm. that you actually have to get your anger out. To me, this is kind of like cutting open a festering wound, getting the pus out, but then filling it with more evil, more bad bacteria that's going to cause more of a festering wound. Uh, many counselors will tell you, you know, just go scream curses into a pillow about how angry you are at your boss or at what your father did to you, or just better yet, this makes a lot of money for a counselor, come back every week and talk to me about how mean everybody was to you as a kid, how you were bullied at school. Let's just talk about it all the time. It feels good, it's cathartic to cut it open and get that garbage out. But the problem is when we don't apply the healing balm of God's word, we don't end up healing at all. Instead, we're trying to solve sin with sin. Mm -hmm. And when has that ever been a good idea? So when we build resentment, when we meditate on how others have wronged us, instead of coming to Christ, we end up in worse shape than if we hadn't talked about it at all. Proverbs 25 gives us um, a great thing to take a look at. Proverbs 25, verse 28. Uh, 
Proverbs 25, verse 28. Proverbs 25 and verse 28. And it kind of tells us what happens when we engage in uh, just doing whatever we feel like. And uh, Solomon gives some instruction here. He says, like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. Ever met people who are angry and out of control? And uh, so when we get out of control, uh, this says, you know, you're, you're defenseless. Uh, this is not a good move. So the, the blow-up anger tends to result in, in problems. Uh, I remember when one time I was getting really uh, angry because the kids were not coming downstairs. And I, I forget what we were going out to. Any of you had this problem where the kids suddenly lose everything right before you have to go out the door? So I was, I was starting to get angry. And so I marched up the stairs and I threw open the door in my anger. And I didn't know that poor Skylar was right behind the door. So as I threw open the door, it whacked him in the face and he started wailing and I went and I just felt awful because I had, I had marched up there and instead of you know, being calm and saying, we have to go now, I, I had just kind of thrown open that door and it had resulted in problems. So uh, blowing up is certainly not a good way to handle this kind of anger. Uh, the other problem we have though is when we say no anger, and this is when we, we say, look, anger's bad. As a Christian, you shouldn't blow up. When you vent, it causes all kinds of problems. So now what you have to do is just pretend or just, just not be angry because good Christians don't get angry, right? And so uh, we tell, tell our kids, put a lid on it. Uh, don't be angry. And so we start pretending. Like uh, one evening, I was uh, washing the dishes because the kitchen was messy so I came in and started washing the dishes. And uh, my wife heard me in the kitchen. You know how you wash the dishes when, when you're not calm? Uh, <laughs> bang, bang, bang. Let everybody know I'm doing their dishes. Yeah, that's me, bang. And then, then my wife comes in and says, are you okay? Yeah, I'm just fine, you know, fine, you know, bang. You know. She's like, are, are, are you angry? I'm not angry. All right, I'm a little frustrated. Yeah. But, it, but it, it, was, it was pretending that I was not angry when I actually was. And so when we deny our anger, that ends up with all kinds of issues. And so it's a little bit like that pressure cooker we talked about earlier. If, if you block the valve on the pressure cooker, what happens? I mean, it, it could really blow up. And so no anger tends to lead to blow anger. So none of us likes this idea of the cycle of no anger and blow anger, right? Probably most of us have experienced something of this. Swallow it, pretend like I'm not angry until something happens and I erupt. These two actually feed off of each other because they're not biblical responses to anger. You know, we have a, a poisonous lie, I think, in our culture today that says love is the cinema, synonym of sweet and nice and pink and fluffy sort of soft stuff that doesn't actually deal with injustice. And that's a fountain of a lot of problems. We teach functionally that the Old Testament God who was angry at sin wasn't very nice. We like the idea of the New Testament God, Jesus, where he was loving and kind. He stood up for those who were committing adultery. 
But that God who said that there was a death penalty for some sins, he was kind of mean, not really loving. We don't say it, but in our philosophy, sometimes we live it out. And that's why we have many extremes in our culture where people say, well, anything that you feel is loving is fine. Well, we aren't the ones who define what love is. Love is the perfect combination of justice and mercy. And when we swing love over to be a synonym of mercy, we lose out on an important part of God's love and of God's character. Then when people are victims of abuse, they feel angry righteously because the church often will turn their back and say, well, but he says he's sorry for beating her. We don't want to do anything bad. It would be mean for us not to forgive him. Plus, he cried when he said he was sorry. When we misunderstand God's character, we think love is all justice or all mercy. But the truth is God's love is a perfect blend of justice and mercy in every situation. In, in fact, God does get angry. Uh, there are some theologians or, or who try and say that God doesn't get angry at all. Uh, but the Bible is very clear. God does get angry. It speaks of the wrath of the Lamb. And uh, the fact that God can get angry can, is challenging for us only because we have a warped picture of what anger is. I mean, Jesus got angry. Jesus got angry when a man with a withered hand came in on a Sabbath day, and Jesus healed his hand, and people were muttering in the back about him healing the withered man's hand. Jesus got angry at their lack of compassion for that man. Jesus got angry when they turned a house of prayer into a den of thieves. You know, God gets angry, but what does he get angry at? He gets angry at sin. And w because he gets angry at sin, it's an appropriate and just response to get angry with sin. Our problem is not getting angry with sin, but we, we just mix in the sinners with that. So instead of just getting angry at the sin, we get angry at the sinner. And that's when we start blaming and when we start shaming people, like, I hate you, I can't believe you did that, were you born in a cave, you know, you're just like your mother, all the kinds of things that can end you in big trouble. And we do that because we have mixed in sin with the sinner. But God is able to focus on the sin. He gets angry with sin. And it's appropriate for him to destroy sin and those who cling to sin. Isn't that true? And so God's wrath is part of his love. And if we remove God's wrath, we've re removed part of the character of God. See, many people think that the correct response to anger is kind of like when my children's room is a huge mess and I say, clean this room. So they cram it all into a closet and then lean against the door until <laughs> it clicks. Is this an effective way to deal with cleaning a room? <laughs> <laughs> it's not an effective way of dealing with anger because what happens later somebody bumps that doorknob and boom right everything is out there and we say things we never meant to say because we held our anger in instead of processing it in a godly way we let it become resentment you see God wants us to use anger as a doorway to a deeper relationship with him and with one another when we're angry, it gives us an opportunity to think through, what is it that I'm angry about? Often, anger is kind of like being punched on a bruise. If, if my husband has a bruise on his shoulder here, <laughs> which he doesn't, fortunately for him, 
And then I come over to him and I say, hey, how are you doing? He may jump and yell. It's not because I was mean, right? It's because he had a bruise there. And so when I hit on that bruise, it hurts. Anger is often a response to real hurt inside. And it's an opportunity for us to understand, oh wow, there's something hurting here. I need to let God heal. In general, I find as a counselor that when a person's anger in a situation is not proportionate to the actual situation, it's usually because they're angry about something in the past that hasn't been resolved and healed. And when they're angry at this situation, the real solution is for them to go back and process that anger biblically, hand that pain to God, so that then they're not always jumpy in their marriage or with their parenting or at their job or at their church, wherever it is, when we bump into other people and we have bruises on us, we react instead of responding biblically. So the Bible does give us some indication of how to respond biblically. If we go back to Ephesians 4, write the verse before, be angry and sin not. It does give us an indication of how to deal with each other. And uh, notice what it says in Ephesians 4 and verse 25. Ephesians 4 and verse 25. It basically tells us to do what? Stop lying or pretending. The word there for lie can also mean pretense. Stop lying, and instead, what are we to do? Speak the truth with your neighbor. So the way to deal with anger is to be truthful with one another. Now, the Bible does qualify this. You know, um, yes, dear, that dress does make you look fat is probably not the best thing to say. Uh, it does qualify it by saying in verse 15, speak the truth in love. So we are to, to figure out a way to share with each other, to speak the truth in a way that enables us to, uh, to speak loving words of truth uh, that will build up, it says later on, the other person instead of speaking rotten words that will break them down. He didn't try that out on me, by the way, just <laughs> so you know. I know better than that. So... Um, now, of course, you look beautiful, dear. I might just say that up front here. Amen. I have to have light. <laughs> so uh, how, how do we go about this? So we can have no anger, but that only leads to blow anger. And instead, we said we have to speak the truth and love, words that will build up the other person. What kind of anger could we call this? Well, if it's not no anger, pretending, or blow anger, I suggest slow anger. And isn't it great that the Bible suggests it too? Yeah. Be slow to anger. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean speed. For example, once when I was uh, much younger, uh, I must have been about 15, 16, I had three friends that I would go and spend time with at recess. We would all go sit out in a field and talk together. We were probably a little exclusive. And my sister got really mad about this and told me how I was just so snobby. So one day as we were at recess, my friends and I didn't go way out in the field away from everybody. We stayed there where all the other kids were milling around in the playground. And when my sister came close by me, I said, look, I didn't go out into the field. See, I'm not being a snob. And she responded by hauling off and slapping me across the face. There was kind of a startled silence as all of our friends stood around waiting to see what I was gonna do. And I didn't do anything. I'm not the kind of person who does that. It's just not really in me. So I was like, oh, well, I hope you're happy with yourself. 
And, and then uh, when we went home that afternoon, one of my older sisters picked us up and I talked to her about this situation and my sister got mad for me telling my sister about it so she hauled off and slapped me on the face again. Now my older sister said, I wouldn't put up with that if I were you. Mm-mm, no way would I do that. And I thought about it as we drove the 15 minutes home. Yeah, it's probably not the way I want to live my life. So when we got out of the car at home, I said, hey, to my sister, and she turned around and I hauled off and slapped her on the face. That's not what I mean by being slow to anger. It didn't work either. She just hauled off and hit me back even harder, and then my grandma yelled out the window, so I got three slaps out of it. <laughs> and, and I never hit her again, by the way. Even when I hit my sister when I was mad, I was gentle because I didn't really want to hurt her. Does she agree with that? <laughs> Don't ask her. No, <laughs> no it's true. <laughs> I'm not the kind of person who enjoys rage. However, I wish I could say that I've never hurt her with my words, which would not be true. I was often angry, but I would say something instead of hitting somebody. But that doesn't make it okay, does it? So there's no anger, which leads to blow anger, and God's solution is slow anger. And by slow anger, I mean not just reacting with a gut reaction, a knee-jerk kind of thing, but actually processing biblically, thinking through, how can I handle this the way that Jesus would? You see, when we just react, we're kind of like that punch on the bruise. We do something self-protective because our motive is selfishness. Mm. But when we pray through things and contemplate what would Jesus do in this situation, it helps us to be zealous for his glory and not for our own glory. That's the difference. It's still important to be angry. God is angry when he sees children being abused. He's angry when he sees men coming into a village and mowing down innocent people with machine guns. He's angry when he sees someone cheating an elderly person out of their money in their bank account. God is angry and we should be angry too. But the difference is God can be angry at sin without being angry at the sinner. And only when we pause to pray and be slow to anger can we separate those two out and love in the midst of our anger. See, what's going on here is, if I had to break down what causes anger, anger is a response to a perceived injustice. Uh, with God, it's a response to an actual injustice. But for us, we don't have his knowledge, so it's often a response to a perceived injustice. With God, he gets angry at the injustice that is caused by sin. But with us, we have an additional element. We get angry with an injustice that is against us. Just ask your kids. Kids are really good at justice for themselves. And so what happens is we begin to, to feel that injustice like, that's not fair. I, he got a bigger piece of pie than I did. Any of you heard that lately, if you have children? That's not fair. How come he gets to do this? How come she gets to do that? It's not fair that you didn't do this for me when I got home. It's not fair. It's not just. But the injustice has to do with us. And that means our problem with anger, what makes anger that is good become anger that is bad, is when anger becomes selfish. Now, I'll give you another example from my life. And since 90% of my life is parenting currently, that's where they come from. My, this is my daughter's favorite story, though. She's not here. She's out on a backpacking trip with the Pathfinder group. But I'm sure she would be thrilled when I said, well, we need to think of some stories. This was the first one she suggested. 
her probably all-time favorite story of everything I've done parenting. This was when Anaya was about four or five years old, and Skylar was just a baby, maybe one year old, and Seth about two. I just put Skylar down for a nap, and I told Anaya and Seth as I closed the door to the room, I led them away and I said, do not open that door. Do not wake him up. The baby needs sleep. If the baby doesn't sleep, mommy doesn't get any rest. Okay, mommy. Well, maybe 10 minutes later, I look down the hallway and I see the door open and two children tussling on the doorknob, yelling at each other. Go, go, go. Well, I lost it. I had one of those parenting moments that I'm not proud of. I ran down the hallway and I grabbed them and yanked them away from the door, shut the door carefully, took them away and then said, why did you do that? And I spanked Anaya right away because she's older, right? She knew better. Then she was sobbing and screaming and crying and explained to me finally, I wasn't the one who opened the door. Seth opened the door. And I was trying to stop him and get him away from the door. Well, you can imagine how I felt, right? I felt like dirt. What an awful mom. Seth, of course, was stoked that he escaped punishment. <laughs> He's back there looking angelic right now. <laughs> but you see, my anger was fueled by my selfishness. When we're fueled by selfishness, we're zealous for our glory and not God's glory. I wasn't angry at the sin, I was angry at the sinners, and as a result, I became part of injustice. See, when we get angry with selfishness as our motivation, we're always trying to either be God or get somebody else to be God for us. When my life is not centered on God, then instead, I start demanding, why don't you give me more of what I need? Why don't I have more money? Why don't I have more time? Why don't I have whatever it is that I want? I try to make the other person be God for me. Make me feel loved. Make me feel valuable. This is what drives a lot of addictions. Or we do the opposite. We say, I am going to be God. But when we try to be God, unfortunately, we end up wanting his power and not wanting his character. We don't want to love like God. We just want the power to make people do what we want them to do now. And isn't that what's at the heart of the times that we lose it when we're parenting? We want the power of God and not the character of God. And we end up having to go back and say we're sorry to our children. So the Bible, uh, Paul goes on, and right at the end of this chapter, he actually gives us some great advice. Uh, so if, if you were to go down to uh, verse... Uh, 31, he, uh, he says at the end of chapter 4 of Ephesians, he says, you know, put away bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, gossiping, evil speaking, put these away from you and all malice, put away this hatred. Don't let anger build up inside of you. And instead, he says, do this in instead in verse 32, be what to one another? Be kind to one another, be tenderhearted, forgive one another, even as God, in, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Uh, one day, I, I walked into the house, and I just got angry because something was put out that should have been put away. And I was like, they know better. I've told them, if you take this out, 
put it back. And I was just preparing my, my dad's speech for the kids when I remembered that I was the one that had actually left it out. <laughs> and so I, I, I discovered something in that moment. I'm a whole lot more forgiving of my mistakes than I am of my kids' mistakes. You know, I have to remember the grace that God has shown me, the kindness. The word tenderheartedness really means empathy, the empathy that God has shown towards me. And I need to show that same forgiveness and talk to God about the ways he's forgiven me before I go and, and spill out my anger on my kids. And so that, that was just really a powerful demonstration to me of God forgives me, I need to be willing to forgive others. I remember one time when I was out camping with our family and um, I let my kids go and play on the playground and my daughter came back crying and furious just a few minutes later. And she said, I took my doll over to the playground and I was playing with my friend and we left our dolls right here. And then this boy, I don't know, came up at the playground and he grabbed my doll and he was kicking it around and throwing it and laughing and he wouldn't give it back. She was so upset. And immediately, I was upset too, right? Because this is wrong. So I went straight over to the playground, and she pointed, there he is right there. So I went and grabbed that young man by the shoulder. He was like, you know, up to here. And I said, what were you doing with my daughter's doll? I said, you go get it right now and bring it back over here. And he did. And I said, where is your campsite? And I went over, he ended up being there with the Boy Scouts or something like that. So I told the people who were in charge what he had been doing and how he had been bullying my, my daughter and her friend. And I, I assume they, they were, oh wow, he has had some problems, you know. I assume that he got some consequences and was able to take the situation more seriously. But the main thing that I was concerned about was that my daughter would see that I care about the things that matter to her. Sometimes abuse and injustice happen. We can't stop those things from happening completely because sin is unjust. That's the nature of sin. It's not fair. But when we have an opportunity to make wrongs right and defend the vulnerable, that's our opportunity to restore their picture of the character of God. When we suffer injustice and nobody cares, it makes it harder for us to trust that God cares. And on the other hand, when we suffer injustice and the church or our parents or someone else stands up for us and says, no, that's wrong, we reflect the character that Jesus reflected. God wants us to seek to make things right. Why are we indifferent sometimes when injustice happens? Sometimes we're indifferent because it's not happening to me. It's not me that lost the money. It's not me that had this bad thing happen. And so we don't care. We care more about the things that happen to the people who seem more like us. We're more concerned when the car accident happens and it's to somebody who lives close by us or who is the same color of skin that we do. We're more concerned when the person has cancer, when they maybe have kids the same age as ours because it hits closer to home. We think, wow, maybe that could happen to me too. And we shrug off the things that happen in another country or far away or to somebody who don't, doesn't seem like us. But that's not the way that God deals with injustice. Amen. We can't fix all the wrongs in the world. 
but every day we should wake up doing our best to restore the picture of the character of God to the people that are within our community, within our circle of influence, because God's character is the perfect combination of justice and mercy. He doesn't want us to be indifferent to the injustices of the world. So what we've been talking about with good and bad anger here is really just a reflection of God's character. Good anger reflects God's character. It's a perfect blend of justice and mercy. Bad anger tends to reflect our selfish nature, tends to reflect what wrongs have been done to us. It tends to be an emotional response. Good anger tends to be slow. Bad anger tends to be hasty, tends to say, all right, you know, and the Bible says a, uh, a man of a hasty temper is foolish. And you know why they're foolish? Because they're foolish. You know, they act foolishly. And so good anger and bad anger are both representative of God's character. So I want to end with the story I, I had at the beginning. And the story I, I had at the beginning, as you remember, uh, I had been sitting in that worship service uh, and the man had been speaking directly against what I'd spoken the previous week. I was so mad, walked with my friend, calmed down. And I saw him as he was leaving and I finally got the courage up and I walked up to him and he was kind of walking away, his back towards me. And I said, sir, sir. And he turned around and I said, I, I'm really disappointed at what you did tonight. And he says, what? I said, you were talking about my worship that I talked about a week ago. And he said, I have no idea what you're talking about. I've been preparing my worship for months. Uh, I, I've never heard about your worship. And then he looked at me again and he said, who are you? I said, oh, don't worry about that. <laughs> I said, fine, thank you for clearing that up. That's great. And I slipped back into the, into the girl's dormitory feeling very foolish for having attacked him when he had had no idea about my previous worship. And then I found my friend Jane and I said, it's all okay, it's fine, it's great. And Jane s smiled at me sweetly. She said, I'm so glad it worked out. By the way, as we were walking, uh, I, I was trying to tell you, but you were talking so much I couldn't get a word in, that you were talking into my deaf ear. She had had a medical condition. She said, I barely heard a word that you said. That's why I didn't say anything back. And I was like, Thank you, God, for giving me somebody to talk to who was so willing to kind of listen. <laughs> but I also realized how easy it is to judge somebody else. And God was teaching me, you know, it's good to process our anger, but also to be aware that our anger can blind us to what is really going on. And I want to encourage you, as you think about the angry moments, for you to take those to God, as we heard in our children's story. Process it with God. Talk to God. Talk to yourself. And then in the right way, speaking the truth and love, talk to the other person. He who is slow to anger has great understanding.